Edgy Talk. Double Talk. Fast Talk. Talk Radio. The home of free speech. Kevin O'Sullivan. Full contact, common sense conversation. Plain talking, pioneering. Let's broaden our minds. Kevin O'Sullivan. On Talk Radio. Now, there seems to be something wrong here. Uh, it's the spring equinox, right? And, uh, of course, the sun is shining, the sap is rising, everything's going well. Uh, I've got a great positive message for everybody, but they've kicked off the show with the wrong ident. It's Kevin O'Sullivan. He's not here. He's in later at seven. I'm Mike Graham, of course. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common... Thank God! Thank God it's been fixed. The world headquarters of Common Sense. Well played to Mark Gale behind the counter there. Uh, as we enter the spring season with a spring in our step and a new determination to fix the problems we are facing day to day. Not least inside this very studio. Many of those are, ladies and gentlemen, financial woes caused by the ridiculously out of control cost of living. And that's thanks to the greed of huge companies profiteering because of the rising prices and simply adding fuel to the fire, which is also, of course, spiralling in price every single day. Rishi Sunak will set out his budget statement on Wednesday amid hints that he may well be planning cuts in fuel duty by up to 5% a litre. Uh, five pence a litre, I should say. He's also still planning to increase uh, national insurance payments by 1.25% next month. Will he do the decent thing and cut that as well? We shall find out this morning here at Talk Radio. But we want to do some good, as we often do. Uh, we want to send your demands and your stories to Downing Street via this very studio. So please call us and send your tweets to us. And we will promise to pass them on to number 11 Downing Street today. You know the number, 0344 499 1000. What we want from you is uh, your stories of how much everything's beginning to cost. Everybody's just got their new council tax bill. Uh, mine's gone up by about 5%. Others are going up somewhere between 5 and 10%. How much are you paying for your petrol? How much are you paying for your energy that you're putting into your heating bills? How much are you paying uh, to, to cook your food? How much are you paying for gas? We want to know all of the stories that you've got for us because we want to package them up and we want to send them to Rishi Sunak and say to 11 Downing Street, look guys, this is what the people of this country are feeling. This is how they're hurting. Rishi Sunak yesterday came out and said that he knows how it feels for those people struggling to pay their bills. Really? Really, Rishi? Married to one of the richest women in the world, has never wanted for anything in his life, privileged education at private school, Winchester, I believe, uh, and then Oxford. This is not a man who understands what it's like trying to work out whether to put 25 quid in the petrol tank of your car or buy some food for the week. That is not what his life is like. Up first this morning, we've got Baroness Hoey with her take on the latest from Ukraine and the European Union. Plus, we'll hear what she thinks about the cost of living crisis and what the Chancellor should be doing about it. Peter Hitchens is here with us as well. And as ever, he's got plenty to say. Only yesterday, a report in the Mail on Sunday confirmed what we were saying over a year ago about the haphazard and inaccurate way COVID death figures have been counted. Told you so. Uh, he'll also be addressing the collapse of Western civilization and just how we got here. It's hard to believe we can fit all this into one show, isn't it? I'll also be telling you why we've been locking down chickens. That's right, chickens. Uh, and why a government minister now believes our children should be taught about the benefits of the British Empire in schools. 0344 499 1000. We've got so much else to talk about. We'll get to that a little bit later on. We are, of course, Talk Radio. It's the fastest growing radio and TV station on the planet. Of course it is. Is it any wonder... Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And so, let us go without further ado to Kate Hoey, Baroness, of course, of Lyle Hill and Rathlin. Kate, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Sorry, I was going on a bit there because we were slightly delayed in opening the show, but um, 
I'm feeling good today. The spring equinox is upon us, and I was reading up on it this morning. Apparently, the spring equinox is, is all about equilibrium and the one time uh, in the year when the, the world has the same amount of light and dark in every part of the world. So I think we should take that as a kind of a message and a, and a signal that we should no longer be sort of looking down into the gutter, but we should be looking up into the stars. Well, I think there's no doubt about it. It's certainly here in Northern Ireland in the last few days, we've had sunshine, which we haven't seen for a very long time. <laughs> and it's been, you know, it does raise spirits. It does make people feel better. And you're beginning to hear the birds song in the morning, which is lovely. But of course, hanging over everything, you know, it, it is difficult to be incredibly cheerful when we see the two big issues around. One, of course, being the terrible things that are happening in Ukraine. And then the feeling that everything is going up and up and up. And, you know, no one seems to be able to feel that there's an absolute way of, of stopping that happening. Yes. So it's we want to be cheerful because the days are longer and, you know, the sunshine is coming. But I'm afraid it's not not very easy. And that's why I think Rishi Sunak on, on Wednesday has a, you know, he has a huge job uh, because he's going to have to try and give people something that makes them feel that the government really understands what they're going through and what what needs to be done and at the same time you know he's not going to want to just uh, sort of reduce everything and uh, cut uh, you know take the cuts away from some of the things that they're going to do yeah and people are going to end up i think probably a little bit maybe a, even more than a little bit dissatisfied after wednesday i mean i think i think he should be being radical i mean if the, it's a covid situation which was horrific but if, if he could do so much then I think he has to start realising that the cost of living crisis is equally uh, appalling for, for ordinary people. Mm. You know, the fear that many, many people have about how they're going to actually get through the next few months is, is huge. Well, that's right, because I speak to people every day, many of them in touch with me here on the show, but also just out in the streets and in life in general, where people are going, I don't know how we're supposed to make this happen, work. You know, how can you possibly pay a fuel bill which has quadrupled effectively in the past year alone? Uh, how can you possibly pay one? I think I paid one seventy nine for petrol uh, on uh, the weekend down in Sussex, where the last time I'd filled it up the week before in London, it was one fifty six. I mean, it's extraordinary. And people need to be able to get petrol to work. They need to be able to get their kids to school. These are necessities. You know, it's not as if, you know, I heard somebody earlier on saying, oh, well, most of the people who spend a lot of money on petrol are, are wealthier individuals untrue there's loads of people who have vans that have to drive around there's people who are tradesmen who need transport because they can't go anywhere else without being able to carry all their stuff with them you know it's a it's a massive crisis for so many i mean well even if even if you don't ever drive and you don't have a car you are going to be affected because as you say the businesses are going to be it's going to be costing them more and inevitably they will then put that through onto prices uh, on, on, on everything else. I mean, the, 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 uh, the he really should be, I think a, a five pence reduction is actually very, very little. It, it should be more, but also he should be taking off VAT uh, on, on, on fuel. Um, but he's not going to do that because um, I, I'm afraid that brings, you know, it, it means that it can't be brought in in Northern Ireland because we're still in the EU right. where that can't be reduced. So he's not going to do that. Um, but I think I think it's it, it is a serious serious issue that while Ukraine has kind of kept a lot of the anger out of the headlines, I think that's that is going to increase now because people are beginning to realise that this is not it's got something has to happen, and the government have to show they mean they're serious about doing something.
Well, they really do. We'll get on to the Northern Ireland situation um, very shortly. But as far as what Rishi Sunak is able to do, I mean, I think it would be a massive error if he was to do, do what, what he's promised to do, which is to put up this national insurance uh, 1.25% hike in April, supposedly to pay for the NHS. I mean, I think there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't know about you, Kate, that the NHS has already got plenty of money. It just needs to manage it better. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've um, just been, I had a very bad sort of accident with my leg. So I've been in, in the NHS recently. And I mean, you have to say that the actual care you get on everything, uh, the participants at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast was absolutely wonderful. Mm. But I think if you talk to people who work in the health service themselves, they will say that there is an awful lot could be done to reduce costs, to stop the sort of bureaucracy, the, the kind of numbers of managers at top, at top and medium level. So I, I think you're right, you know, but what I do think on the national insurance contribution, I mean, he should at least be raising the threshold where you have to sort of pay on, on everything. What, what's happening now is that we're going to see people who maybe because of wages having gone up slightly because of the reduction in, you know, people wanting to need, um, the fact that there's more um, people uh, not wanting to work anymore or not needing to work and therefore unemployment has gone down. Wages have gone up, but for an awful lot of people, that just means that they'll end up paying paying more back in tax. And right. so, you know, the, the, the impetus to work harder and earn more is reduced if you know that every time you earn a bit more, the government's taking a bit more back. Yeah. So I think he, he he should be looking at that. And I absolutely agree. This is not the time to be putting up national insurance. Definitely not. And, and you know, if it wasn't, if we could do all these things during COVID, then I can't understand why we can't continue to actually do some of this special extra things that happened during um, the COVID situation. And, you know, it's very interesting. Now we're seeing really the effects of, of lockdown on, on, on so many businesses and that's all coming home to roost and ultimately government has to take some responsibility for that. Well, I think so. I mean, I think it's unreasonable for them to say, well, we had to lock you down so you have to pay for it. It's like, well, hang on a minute. We didn't suggest that you do that. That was Sage that suggested you do that. And in the end, it was a government uh, scheme that was uh, that was invented to keep people from working. We found out last week that in some departments of the civil service, People have never gone back to work and not only never gone back to work, but the DVLA actually paid people not to do any work. Yeah, no, I, I think that more and more of it, there are going to be things coming out about how and how the, um, you know, the furlough money was abused by many people and many businesses. And, and you know, it, it's, it's very disheartening to think that, that that has happened. But all the more reason really now for government to realise that they they were responsible for that. And yes, of course, perhaps it saved a few lives. I, I don't know, but I know you'll be discussing that later with um, Peter Hitchens. But, you know, from what, what I've been reading, it does seem as if uh, the, the figures and, the, and the, the numbers of people who actually died from COVID uh, is probably going to turn out to be an awful lot less than what was said yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And as far as the energy crisis goes, which, let's face it, was already here even before what happened in Ukraine started to happen. You know, it's all very well blaming, um, you know, Putin and blaming uh, the West's reliant on, on Russian gas. But we were facing massive increases in home energy costs before any of that happened. And surely an awful lot of that has to be laid at the door of previous governments, all the way going back to maybe even Gordon Brown and Tony Blair uh, in those days when, when Labour was an electable party. Um, you know, when we allowed basically all of our own energy to be kind of outsourced to other countries. 
you know, it just does not make sense when you see that we're bringing in uh, highly expensive uh, fuel, oil, you know, getting our, our, our coal that we're still using from abroad, costing far more, being being probably mined in, in much worse conditions. And, and all about because of this almost obsession now with, with net zero, this idea that somehow we alone in the United Kingdom can kind of save the world from climate change uh, issues. Mm. And I, I, I do think that the campaign now to look again at whether fracking could not be a very sensible short termish in the next 10, 15 years to actually help us in our energy situation needs to be a, a serious debate. And I'm, I'm pleased that some elements within government seem to be looking at that again, because technology has moved on. Some of the fears that were there, uh, I think, are now not seen as, as, as fears that are really anything more than being groundless. And um, fracking would make such a difference yeah. and would bring jobs and employment too in, in parts of the country where that's needed. Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, it used to be that uh, that fracking was, was, was kind of denied by people and, 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 and not wanted, supposedly, by the Green Lobby because it was dangerous, in their words. Yeah. They're now not saying that. They're now saying it's not dangerous uh, because technology has made sure that it's not. Uh, but now it's just bad for the, for the planet. Well, yeah. you know, I'm sorry. There's lots of things that are bad for the planet, including an impoverished nation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, the whole fossil fuel thing is, is uh, I think, has been, you know, it's been very, very well campaigned by organised groups whose interest it is to get this idea across that we can't, we, we are responsible. We individually are responsible. Now, of course, we all want to make, do our own bit as much as possible to save things and, and, and recycle and do all of those things. But the idea that you can actually change what's happening all over the world by punishing our poorest people, by making them pay more, is, is, is something that I think the country is going to mm. begin to really rebel on. No, absolutely right. Baroness Hurry, stay where you are. We're going to come back to you. We're going to take a short break here. I want to talk to you about Boris Johnson. I want to talk to you about the EU situation. A bit about Ukraine, of course, as well. Uh, Dr. Renee Hunderkamp has been in touch. She says, my heating direct debit has gone up by 92% to £265. Car from £60 to £93 to fill. Council tax from £160 to £182 per month. I'm privileged and can do it, but I'm terrified for people who will go under. I will never vote for the Conservatives again, having done so since 18. Rishi is clueless. Well, there's your first message, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer of this fine country of ours, is going to be getting a big message from here at Talk Radio today. Make sure you're part of that message. Get in touch. Call us 0344 499 1000. We'll pass your message on to him. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Fish Bosch Berserk. Full contact, common sense conversation. Lively debate. Now with 0% drift and dither. Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Spring equinox, right? That means equilibrium, as I was saying earlier at the top of the show. Kate Hoey is here, of course, uh, from the House of Lords. Um, Kate, glad to see that you're uh, uh, recovering from, from that accident that you had. And you were saying the NHS actually does work very well. It does work particularly well, I think, in emergencies, doesn't it, when you're actually rushed to hospital. That's what it's good at. It's when you're not being rushed to hospital, I think, that it's not so good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a long waiting list for minor things yes. or things that, where people are in pain. Uh, I, mean, I was in pain. It was just a, simple, a leg fracture, but it, it's a, a knee cap 
a fracture, but it's it's getting better. But I, I do genuinely now, having never ever had my leg in plaster before, any plaster, I am now so sympathetic to anyone, anyone who has got any kind of oh, yeah. injury like that, because you don't realise just how it, it, it impedes you and everything you're yes. doing. Yes, no, absolutely right. Let's talk a little bit about Boris Johnson, um, yeah. the man you used to work with at City Hall for many, many moons ago. When he uh, was criticised over the weekend, he did a very Borisy type speech, didn't he, where yeah. he was sort of trying to rabble, raise the, uh, raise the bar and rabble rouse, I guess, and get people kind of thrilled to bits about supporting Ukraine and kind of invoked the old Brexit spirit. I didn't think it was as terrible as some people made out. No, when I first saw it sort of on Twitter, I think I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds awful. Then I actually looked at the whole speech and the, con the, you know, the context of what he said. And I have to say, I genuinely didn't see it as being, you know, implying that sort of Brexit was the same as people fighting the war, what uh, uh, the Ukrainians, what mm. I saw was, was this sort of general thing about people everywhere in the world wanting to have a freedom. And for each country, freedom means something different. Yeah. And for us in the United Kingdom, freedom was to me. And one of the reasons I, I supported us leaving was that I wanted to get back you know, our country being able to make our rules our, and, and take our, the, um, the decisions that affect people, which we couldn't do mm. on our own while we were part of the European Union. And I, you know, I, I think it was a, it's a normal, I'm afraid there are, you know, and I've had criticisms of Boris, and I think we all can have as Prime Minister and things that have happened. But, you know, there are, there is a group of people out there who are, particularly in some elements of the media, who are just obsessed with actually um, doing Brexit, uh, doing Boris down because of Brexit. Yeah. And they are I find it. I find it quite extraordinary how bitter and twisted some of these people are. You know. Oh, there's some some shocking, shocking um, tweets and, and, and articles written. Um, you know, it, they know now that they can't. You know, they've lost the argument. They can't get us back into the European Union, but they see punishing Boris as somehow their way of of getting their own back and i think the public has seen through that and particularly you know when it comes to the way he's he's handled ukraine and he's obviously in feeling that he has a really important role to play there mm. and i think we have and you know the idea what's so annoying when you see people on in the media and on twitter generally saying things like as if we in the United Kingdom have not done as much as the European Union when we were far ahead. Absolutely not true. Union. It could quite Absolutely. the reverse. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I think they think that if they say it more and more times that people will believe it. I don't think they will. And mm. I think um, that the whole, the whole way he's handled Ukraine, which is a horrendous situation because obviously we can only do so much mm. because we're part of NATO. No one's expecting us to go in and sort of bomb the you know, the Russians or do anything right. to stop the no-fly zone without other countries being involved. But I do think NATO has to do... Um, I think you know, NATO, NATO actually has NATO been, has been shown very pathetic. I think they've pathetic. been... I mean, I've been asking the question, what on earth is NATO for, you know, if it's not for these types of situations and, and putting pressure on Putin? It doesn't appear to be putting any pressure on Putin at all. No, I mean, and that's even without going for a, a no-fly zone, which I can understand why people worry about it, because mm. if particularly if Putin is not... Uh, let's put it politely, not necessarily very stable. And therefore, we don't know what he might do in those circumstances. But the problem is, if he gets away with this, um, then what's going to happen next? Because he will think that NATO has no real intention of ever taking him on. Mm. And of course, the United Nations 
who have a policy now of um, having to, uh, which was changed to say that they, they, you know, they wanted to protect people in situations. I mean, I'm not sure what the United Nations could do. And of course, they can't do very much because no. Russia has a veto and so has China. Right, exactly. So I think, it, it, you know, whatever happens, we're going to have to have a, a real serious look at what, um, how, how all these international yeah. bodies are working. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that Boris Johnson has proved to be a far more significant friend and ally to Ukraine on the international stage than anybody uh, in Western Europe. And I include Macron and I include the German, new German Chancellor and any other um, body uh, of the European Union, which hasn't really been sure about what to do, it seems to me. I mean, while Macron was sort of going on about going to meet Putin, we were actually arming Ukraine and we were doing things behind the scenes, which yes. were very important. Exactly right. One final question, Kate. Um, Given what was going on before all of this, which was Boris Johnson sort of teetering on the brink, you know, seemingly un even more unpopular than Sir Keir Starmer, which is hard to believe. Um, do you think this will help in the elections in May in terms of how he's kind of stabilised his own situation? I, th I think I, th I think undoubtedly it will. Although, of course, local elections are supposed to be about local issues. They never usually are. And, and what's happening nationally and internationally will will without doubt affect it. I mean, I, I have one message for Boris Johnson to make himself very, very popular, and that would be to immediately uh, take on the European Union in terms of the Northern Ireland yes, Protocol and, and, and invoke Article 16, which legally he has the right to do. And if the European Union think that, you know, that is more important than fighting, uh, the, the, supporting Ukraine, then I think it really does show, uh, you know, the, the, the pathetic nature of what the European mm. Union is, that they're prepared to do something about, uh, you know, pretend that Ukraine is important and then actually spend a lot of time trying to stop Northern Ireland being part of the United Kingdom. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely right. Great to talk to you and, and get well soon. I'm sure you will. You look well. Uh, that's the main thing. Baroness Hoey of Lyhill and Rathlin there uh, talking about a great many things, including, of course, invoking Article 16. Why not? Let's just do it. You know, there is no point any longer in arguing the toss with Brussels. There isn't any uh, reason to believe that they're going to change their view. They never will because they are who they are. It's as simple as that. But we want to hear from you, of course. We've got calls to take. We're going to take them all, 0344 499 1000. Today, it's your chance to give a message to Rishi Sunak. Tell him what you want. Tell him why you want it. And tell him why he must do what you want. Because he needs to get your backing for whatever measures he puts in in his statement on Wednesday. This is Talk Radio. Let's get some news headlines. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. In search of the perfect debate. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Spring equinox time, ladies and gentlemen. I mean... What better reason than to look forward to something good being the case, entering a new season. You don't have to go down to Stonehenge and take all your clothes off, but if you want to, it's going to be quite warm, apparently. Uh, here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Why not, instead of that, try and be positive. Try and think of all the things that could be good that might be happening coming up. Of course there's terrible things going on in Ukraine. Of course there are awful things happening uh, on the uh, cost of living front. And we're going to talk to Annabelle Denham in a moment about all of that. But don't forget, one of the things you can do to cheer yourself is to watch us here at Talk Radio all the way through the day. Because now we're a TV station as well as a radio station. And we are growing very fast. So stick with us. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube. Now we're on Amazon Fire TV as well. Just go to the talkradio.tv page or download the app. 
from the App Store, Talk Radio TV. And don't forget, Talk TV is coming soon as well with Piers Morgan and a whole host of all sorts of uh, other great big shows. Sharon Osbourne as well, Tom Newton Dunn. All things are going to be good right here on Talk Radio TV and Talk TV. Let's talk about now, though, uh, the problem with Rishi, because Rishi Sunak is about to get up on Wednesday, make his spring statement. Uh, there's been hints that he may decide to reduce uh, fuel duty by something like five pence a litre. It will help, but it won't help much. What we really need is some proper strategy on energy. Let's talk to Annabelle Denham, Director of Communications uh, at the Institute for Economic Affairs. Annabelle, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, this is a tough one for Rishi, isn't it? Because up until sort of, I suppose, a couple of months ago, he was the guy everybody thought might be the next prime minister. Um, suddenly now starts to look a bit unpopular unless he starts saving us some money. Well, exactly. Um, I mean, I think that he's right to be considering this cut to fuel duty. Let's not forget the tax makes up around 50% of what we pay at the pump if we include mm. fuel duty and VAT. So that's a massive cost uh, to people and the soaring prices is going to have an effect on people's behaviour. It's going to have an effect on their ability to get to work, how much they socialise and how much they ultimately spend in the economy. I think a problem that we have, Mike, and Rishi is guilty of this, is that for all politicians talk of double or triple whammies in the cost of living crisis there's never any mention that the biggest cost of living is the tax that people pay yeah. it's far and away for virtually everybody the biggest cost uh, that comes out of their pay packet every month um, and yet politicians remain quite quiet on this i think the problem that Sunak has is that the longer he seems to wait to make the tough choices, the harder it becomes. One crisis ends, but it bookends mm. with the next crisis, as we saw with the lifting of legal restrictions coming on the same day, the Putin tanks into the Ukraine. Right. These are not going to be easy decisions at any time. And ultimately, the Chancellor has got to rethink his strategy. He's got to commit to bringing down the country's tax bill and reducing public spending, which has spiralled out of control since the start of the pandemic. Mm. And knowing what you know about the relationship he has with Boris Johnson, I mean, we've always seen chancellors and prime ministers, you know, having various different kinds of relationships. I mean, Theresa May's chancellor, actually, um, Philip Hammond, was quite a tough chancellor and wouldn't always do what she wanted him to do. I'm not sure what Rishi's relationship is with Boris. I mean, there's a lot of sort of tinkering around the edges. You see a little bit of briefing from, from the Treasury against the Prime Minister from time to time. But I'm not certain that he's that independent, really. No, I think... For a long time, the narrative has been that Boris Johnson is the drunk at the bar and Rishi Sunak, who, of course, is teetotal, mm. is the sensible friend trying to order him a taxi home. Right. Um, but increasingly, I'm doubtful of that. I suspect that he's been captured by a Treasury brain, by Treasury officials, um, and has really been, been talked out of taking a tough line mm. against his neighbour. Um, clearly, the relationship between... Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak has turned pretty ugly. Um, and when that is the case, of course, the country suffers. It's very difficult for government to run effectively when your prime minister and your chancellor are not seeing eye to eye. Um, and certainly we don't seem to have any indication from the prime minister that he's going to be curbing government spending, no. which 
after the pandemic, or if you take out COVID, um, will be exceeding 40% mm. of our GDP, which, you know, if you consider that before the First World War, it was about um, an eighth of GDP, it's gone up dramatically. Gordon Brown completely uh, redefined the relationship between government and the economy. And the 12 years of Tory governments haven't really done anything to reverse it. Um, so the government urgently needs to look at ways in which it can cut taxes um but on the other side of the ledger how it's going to cut government spending mm. it cannot cut taxes but continue to borrow more and more because that's part of the reason a large part of the reason that we've got inflation that's in the high single digits and may hit double digits yeah. later this year well certainly lots of things have gone up by more than 10 percent in the past year and we're just looking at people's council tax bills which landed for most people over the last two or three days um i was reading a piece over the weekend that said that the council tax burden now on individual households is higher than it was ever proposed to be under the poll tax, which caused riots in this country. You're probably too young to remember them. Yes, it did. So you've got obviously you've got the increase in, in council tax and the other big cost to households is going to be the increase in energy bills. The yeah. energy price cap is going up 54 percent. Uh, bills are expected to go up around 50 percent, which means that 18 million households on standard tariffs are going to see an average increase of nearly 700 pounds from around 1300 to 2000 pounds a year in their energy bills. This is absolutely massive. And of mm. course, the government announced that it would be giving people a, an energy rebate of 200 pounds um but it then later turned out that this was a loan and that they would have to pay uh, this at 40 pounds a year for five years uh, starting next april so that wasn't quite what uh, it first appeared um you can see that the government is obviously making some effort here to try and and cut the co cut the cost of living um to people but it, it's just at the moment looking like too little coming too late yes it really is so you're not very uh, optimistic by the sounds of things annabelle that we'll be happy bunnies on the wednesday afternoon well, I think in all likelihood, we're going to be paying more taxes after the Chancellor has sat down than we were <laughs> when he stood up at the uh, dispatch box. No, I don't know that. But, you know, hopefully he is going to go ahead with um, this cut in fuel duty. Obviously, the big um, tax increase that we've been talking about for months now is in national insurance contributions. There have been there's been immense pressure on the Chancellor to um, postpone the increase, if not scrap it altogether. Mm. But I expect that he's going to resist that and proceed with it. He's invested a lot of political capital on this, and I doubt he's going to want to have to go through the same fight against again next year, having really seemed to have dug his heels in. Um, he could still soften the blow this year by raising the thresholds at which people start to pay income tax and national insurance. Um, certainly that's being rumoured at the moment so that could be a you know semi-positive development to come out of the spring statement but no i mean it, it doesn't look like we're going to be seeing any drastic uh, tax cuts to sin taxes uh for instance um i think uh, or to green levies which obviously make up a huge percentage yeah. of the energy bills that we pay you know or indeed any drastic cuts to government spending but but we'll see perhaps we'll be pleasantly surprised Mike. yes well I, I i fear you may well be right but annabelle thank you very much indeed
indeed, Annabel Denham, their Director of Communications at the IEA, not entirely sure uh, that the government is going to give us anything back, but they really need to think about being very careful not to put anything up even higher. A couple of quick uh, messages. Matthew says this, send this to Rishi, cut the VAT on fuel, stop the national insurance rates, but keep the green taxes. We need more in renewables. I would cut that as well, to be honest. Uh, and Phil says this, my message for Rishi Sunak at number 11 is to restore the triple lock on my pension. Lots of you want to get on. This is the day to do it because this is the day to give a message to the Chancellor that you want to see a cheaper standard, a cheaper cost of living uh, and a cheaper energy uh, tariff and a cheaper fuel tariff as well. Uh, make sure you get those messages to us. We'll get them to him. This is Talk Radio. Edgy Talk. Plain Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense as spring literally sprung. No, that's not right, is it? As spring has literally sprung around us? I think it has literally sprung around us. Spring sprung. Yeah, it sprang maybe. Spring sprang around us. Anyway, listen, here's the most important thing. Peter Hitchens is coming up in this hour. We're going to be talking about a great many things, including the moral posturing of the West. Of course, also, he wrote uh, this week about... Uh, he didn't tweet. He tweeted about this week the uh, the story in the Mail on Sunday, in which it says, basically, uh, that official figures overestimated Britain's COVID death toll by quite some uh, remarkable margin. Because, of course, Peter Hitchens and I were having these conversations over a year ago, at which we were wondering why the numbers and the way that numbers were put together and the way the numbers were counted and the way that we were the leading country in Europe with the number of people dying from COVID. Uh, we were questioning all of that, uh, quite rightly, as it now turns out. The people are now questioning whether it was a good idea to lock down children. Really? Well, we were questioning that as well. People are now questioning whether or not maybe mask wearing wasn't quite the right thing to do. Really? Well, we were questioning that too, but a much longer time ago. In fact... We've now reached a ridiculous point where, as I was saying just before the uh, last news there, they're locking down chickens to stop them from passing on bird flu, which they do every single year without being locked down. I mean, you know, the world has truly gone completely and utterly insane. We'll get his view as well uh, on Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe for her release on Saudi Arabia, on Boris Johnson, and of course on what the latest is from Ukraine as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Loads more of your calls as well. Today we would like to send a message to Richie Sunak about the cost of living crisis and about how much money you're being asked to pay for the bills that you used to pay about half as much for only a year ago and maybe a quarter as much for uh, only two years ago. So we need to get your messages to the Chancellor. His statement goes out on Wednesday. We'd like to be able to tell him what you... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Think of what you know, because I don't really believe him when he says he knows what it's like for ordinary families struggling to pay the bills. I really don't think he knows. 0344-499-1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, now also on television. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, say a very good morning to Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Morning. Thank you very much for joining us. My first sort of thought to talk to you about was these COVID figures, because that was what I first spotted yesterday when I went onto Twitter, saw that you'd retweeted the Man on Sunday piece. Fascinatingly reminiscent of something you were saying and something you showed that you'd said um, more than a year ago. Well, yes, I, this is a story by Eve Simmons, my esteemed colleague, uh, part of our very good medical desk. And I just thought it was it, it was slightly towards the back of the, of the book in the paper, uh, though very prominently displayed. And I just thought it, it would be sensible if I drew attention to it. Uh, I think that in a way it shows how the, the, the mainstream is now uh, catching up with the um, the weirdos like me who were pointing out the problem. I'm not just weirdos, I have to say, a lot of what I wrote at the time was based on the work of Dr. John Lee, mm. a distinguished pathologist, yes. uh, who was extremely worried about the way in which deaths were being recorded. And I think that as we calm down uh, from the, from the, uh, as, as the, the, the panic begins to end, and is of course now replaced by another panic, uh, there will be more and more of this. People will look at what was said at the time and they will say, well, hang on a minute, maybe maybe the, the sceptics did have a point. Uh, I say sceptics, I think there are, there are other uh, points made or alleged during the, the panic which were not so valid and I, I wouldn't want to associate myself with those. But on this matter of the measurement of deaths, I think a serious re-examination yes. is necessary. It will probably be impossible to do totally objectively for obvious reasons, but I think that any kind of, of rethink on all these things will help us avoid doing something as daft as that again in future. And it's interesting to, to, to point out that that it, it's now possible for these things to be discussed more broadly. And in maybe a year's time, it may be possible for the current Ukraine issue to be discussed more broadly. Mm. Uh, I wish it would be discussed more broadly now because a lot of the talk currently uh, going on is pushing us towards uh, widening the war and, in my view, probably lengthening it. And I think from the point of view of those of us who have ever experienced war and conflicts know that the people we should be most concerned about are the innocent civilians. Yeah. For them, a widening and an extension of the war is disaster. And no, I agree. I agree. With, I agree with that. But I, I disagree with what you're suggesting. I think, and I, 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 I do so warily, of course, because quite often when I disagree with you, uh, now I might, might, might end up agreeing with you later. But uh, we shall see whether <laughs> well, we'll, that's the yeah. case. <laughs> but I just wonder whether by not by not escalating, like by not getting involved more militarily, shall we say, or more uh, in uh, a no-fly zone situation or anything like that. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, that the West is playing a sort of waiting game, hoping that 
um, the Russian attack will, will just kind of peter out. And I know that you've said that's probably never going to happen, but it doesn't look to be, apart from the fact that they're basically flattening cities, um, they're not gaining the country, if you know what I mean. Well, did they ever intend to gain the country? We haven't seen a, 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 an absolute statement of their, their aims. I doubt very much. And there's a lot of claims made about how Putin wants to annex Ukraine and take it over and mm. seize it as a, as a wholly Russian territory, which I have to say, I, 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 I doubt. I don't think that was ever the, the, the Russian aim. And I don't think it's what they could reasonably expect to get. And certainly if it, if it was their aim to begin with, uh, the obvious weakness of their army in many ways is shown that they're not going to be able to get it. Mm. One of the, as I've said before, one of the key things we've learned from this is that the Russian army is in fact a second-rate army, not a first-rate mm. army, uh, not particularly big. Uh, the country simply doesn't have the economy to sustain the sort of army which could go around conquering and holding mm. large areas of territory or completely absorbing an, a neighbouring country. I don't think they could do it. Also, you must remember that the, the arming and, uh, and, and training of Ukrainian forces uh, with the, the possibility of such a war taking place by NATO countries has plainly been going on, uh, more or less openly, for, for some time. Mm. And the, the, the Ukrainians are equipped with some extremely good equipment, uh, the, particularly the Javelin anti-tank uh, weapons. The Russians have nothing of that mm. kind and don't seem to be very well prepared for it. For and, that is, and that is all to the good, I would have thought, because had that not been the case, then the Ukrainians may not have been able to put up quite such a stiff resistance. Well, I don't know about good or bad. As, the, as, as I've often said, the only mercy in war is a swift end. And a swift end is, is, is not going to count if the two sides are, are, are equally, no. equally matched. But, I think e but the, equally a swift end if it means the, the destruction of a country and, and a kind of a hostile takeover, if you like, of a government. I don't think that's a good ending at all, is it? Well, it, again, it, 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 the longer war goes on, the more people will be killed, the more houses will be destroyed, the more the economy will be ripped to pieces, the more immensely expensive and difficult reconstruction will have to happen afterwards, the deeper the, 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 the psychological and moral wounds will be and the, 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 the harder it will be to, to reach reconciliation afterwards. So I don't think that any responsible person looking on could conceivably want it to go on longer i so i did there there are supposedly and we have to rely on reports for this there are supposedly quite detailed talks going on in turkey mm. between the two sides and i think we should be hoping and praying for a swift resolution which will end uh, the fighting because it's only when the fighting ends that people could stop being yeah. killed and the and people can begin to think about returning to their homes which i think at, at this stage is still a reasonable possibility well, if the war freezes into a long conflict, then all those people who fled uh, from the from from the battle will begin to think in terms of not going back. Well, that's, that's a, I think, that, and, that is a, and that's a huge issue for Western Europe. I would have thought, yes. and a lot of people have already started talking about that because we're now talking about ten million people being displaced rather than it's two. Possible. You know, I, I, the, none, none of these figures are impossible. It's it, it's a, it's a very big, very densely populated country. There are a lot of people there, and if you turn it into a permanent war zone. Uh, the effects on Europe will be vast. Mm. So again, the, this is another argument against uh, prolonging or intensifying or widening the conflict. Also, once you widen it, it it's, it's very unpredictable. And the other thing, of course, which I keep saying about wars in, in the modern world of democracy and mass media is that, is that it's necessary for governments before they go into wars to, to get their populations into a state of support for mm. them. Uh, when, once people have started supporting a war, it's very hard to go back to them and say, well, actually, we've now reached our objectives. Can we please stop? 
people want to win. And this is why modern wars take so long to finish. And well, I mean, I don't remember. Let's be wary of that. Yes, I mean, I don't remember the last war uh, that happened, perhaps in, certainly in my lifetime, at which you could declare a winner at all. Could you? No, I think the but if, if you the, the two great wars of the twentieth century, the, the first world war and the second world war, were both considerably longer uh, than they would have been mm. if the governments involved had all been old-fashioned monarchies, which hadn't had to worry about mobilising their populations in support. They mm. would have undoubtedly reached uh, peace settlements much, much earlier in both cases. And there's still some discussion about the wisdom, for instance, of the the, the Allied demand for unconditional surrender from Germany, which, uh, amongst other things, greatly intensified the fighting on the Western Front. Mm. Uh, and uh, as, as did the, the, the plan to de-industrialise Germany, the Morgenthau plan, and lengthen the war and cause more, more people on our side to die. Are these things wise? It, it's, it looks terribly morally attractive. We, we, we have no track with these people. We won't talk to them. But the people who die as a result of this intransigence tend to be innocent. Yes. But watching the events of, say, the last few days, um, beginning with Putin's rally in Russia uh, in a Moscow stadium about the annexing of Crimea and the uh, sort of anniversary of it, full stadium, people singing, people celebrating... You know, that looked to me like the act of somebody who wasn't doing terribly well in his latest quest. Maybe so. I, it, I, obviously, these, these rallies are always phony. People who work in the public sector are, are put under pressure to go to them, uh, and they, they don't mean very much. But then again, I think you would probably find that most Russians only having access, as they do, to, to Russian television reports even the, the remaining dissenting broadcasters in, in Moscow having been shut down, are possibly more enthusiastic about this war than we think mm. they are. Uh, that, that would not be surprising. The Russian propaganda may not be very effective outside Russia, but it's pretty effective inside Russia. Mm. And that's probably the most important place that it needs to be, right? No, I think if they, if, if, if they wanted to, if they wanted to do... do I say be well positioned in, in the coming negotiations. They've certainly made a very bad fist of presenting their case. But of course, the worst fist you can possibly make in any presentation of any case is to invade a country without provocation. Yeah. Well, that's the trouble. I mean, Sergei Lavrov is not a great advert for um, peace and prosperity for the future, is he? Uh, Lavrov is an intelligent man. I'm sure Lavrov would, was not consulted about this this invasion and I would be very surprised if he was in favour of it. But... Well no but he's been speaking about it in a way which would suggest that he's not in being entirely truthful I mean he was the guy that said um, in front of an audience of press I think uh, the week before last he said we're not interested in what anybody thinks of why we've invaded didn't say he had invaded kind of avoided that word altogether yeah. and, then well, said, I... and then said that the reason for going in uh, was to start cleaning up these bio labs, which previously wasn't the reason we're going in. When the reason we're going no, in, no, I know. It's just nonsense, isn't it? But people talk all kinds of all kinds of Belgian war. Uh, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of the people on the, on the western side have talked some Belgian as well. Mm. I, it's not. It, it's this is what happens, and people become uh, credulous because they 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 want to believe uh, various bits of propaganda that only one side is evil and only one side is good, which is never uh, in general the case. And and here we go. Yes. And well, you took. Uh, I think last was it was it last week. I think you took Gordon Brown to task for his remarks about uh, yes. war crimes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he, he was in the cabinet, which which decided to to, to that Britain should take part, which it never needed to do, uh, in the Iraq invasion of two thousand and three, and that was not by 
any standards a, a justified invasion. And now he's going on about other people being taken to war crimes tribunals. Has the man no self-awareness? And people really should be. Have have we as a country no self-awareness? So our, our involvement with Saudi Arabia and the, the horrible war in Yemen is is, is also a, a terrific disgrace. And I think we, we, if we're going to start doing moral posturing about this, we, we, we need to, to become much more conscious of exactly what it is we've been up to. Yes. Uh, well, I found, myself, I found myself saying to somebody uh, the other day, we were filming something else, and um, we were talking about the 81 people executed by Saudi Arabia shortly before yeah. Boris Johnson arrived. They ex- and then he said, well, they executed three people while he was there. I said, yeah, but he wasn't there very long. <laughs> no, well, I mean, they were still hosing the blood off the off the execution site when he when he arrived. Yeah. and the, the uh, Britain's relation with Saudi Arabia is is, is 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 an extraordinarily immoral thing, and cannot be justified morally. And uh, we 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 get quite rightly appalled about the the the, the attempted murder of the Skripals in Salisbury and everything that went with that. Uh, in like, why are we not equally disapproving of the revolting? murder of Jamal Khashoggi in a, in, in a Saudi consulate, uh, undoubtedly the work of the Saudi state, we continue to have perfectly uh, friendly dealings with mm. them. If our rejections to these people are, are actually on the grounds of, of, of morality, then we're totally inconsistent. And the, we support the, the horrible military dictatorship in Egypt, uh, which rests on, on street massacres of hundreds of its opponents. And is undoubtedly a, a, was an, founded also on a military push. But, but we don't. If we're really the, the friends of democracy and freedom, we have a totally inconsistent way of going yeah. about it. And the less of this moral shouting there is, it seems to me, the quicker we'll get to the point where we we, we manage to obtain some sort of peace in which, as say, people can go home, civilians can stop having to fear being killed uh, or having their homes demolished. And, and peace can return and some sort of deal can be done to avoid this stupid thing ever happening again. Yeah. I would have thought that would be the objective of any civilised person. Let's not you would allow think, ourselves but to but the difficulty with, the di- But the difficulty, I guess, with all of that, Peter, is that, is that you know, people tend to invade other countries. They do tend to want to do that, um, whether we like it or not. The question is whether we do anything about it. Now, we could say, well, we shouldn't bother. Um, Germany should do as much business with the Russian oil um, um, oligarchs as they can. We should do as much business with the Saudis as we can. And if any of those two countries decide to do something which we think is a bit distasteful and possibly uh, anti-human rights, we just let them get away with it. Well, this is, in fact, what happens. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to recommend it. I'm sure there are intelligent <laughs> ways of, of, of tackling it, which, which are well short of war. Well, I said earlier that I, I described the, the, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine as unprovoked. But it's not quite as simple as that. Ever since the overthrow of Fernand Marcos, which, which I'm pretty certain was at the instigation of the, of the United States. Well, back, after they, well, after eight, they went off him. Eight, yeah, exactly, when they went off him. It's been a technique of, uh, of, of Western powers to, to interfere in other countries, not by invading them, but by arranging the overthrow of their governments. And in 2014, the, the overthrow of the legitimate government of Ukraine was, how shall I put it, countenanced uh, by the Western powers. And there's no question that they, 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 they supported it and, uh, and, and, and that, they've, uh, that they rejoiced when it happened. Well, they, Yanukovych because they was, would, would, but they would, wouldn't they? Because... Well, maybe they would, but is, is, this, is this morally uh, any less repulsive than, than sending tax across the border? If someone comes into this country, just always, always ask yourself about any method used in diplomacy. Uh, how you'd feel if it was used against you. 
if somebody, if the Chinese took against the government of this country, which had been fairly elected and, uh, and supported uh, mobs in, in London, which ultimately overthrew it by violent threats and replaced it with a, with a more pro-Chinese government, you'd be pretty cheesed off, and so would I. Uh, and uh, I think we have to realize that this is not a, a particularly legitimate method of behaving. And we, we, we mustn't, the, the oversimplification of life, the refusal to notice the details seems to me to be a, a very bad feature. Yeah, of modern no, I, no I, I, I would go along with that. But, but equally, I mean, it's one thing to say that it was provoked. I mean, it's a little bit like saying uh, somebody bumped into me in the bar as I was walking towards the toilets. And so I decided to shoot him. No, it isn't, actually, because it, it's, it's part of a much longer process, the process which we've discussed before, uh, which began with Paul Wolfowitz's uh, doctrine, which was leaked in Washington, D.C. in 1992, of making sure that no new power arose on the ruins of the Soviet Union. And the expansion of, of NATO against the warnings of every diplomatic expert you could find uh, that, that was pursued by the United States, to some extent its allies, and, and was warned about not not merely by Putin himself, who in, in his speech in Munich in 2007, let's say by Yegor Gaidar, the Russian liberal politician, and by Henry Kissinger, uh, for once in his life in, in alliance with Noam Chomsky, uh, and, and the former ambassadors, Jack Matlock, the former the last American ambassador to, to the Soviet Union, many, many experienced and skilled diplomats said this policy will strengthen the, the nationalist fanatics in Moscow and will lead to a new Cold War and bad trouble. And they were absolutely right. Mm. And this policy has been going on, as I say, basically since 1992. And it's finally reached its apogee now. So you can't just say it's a wholly one-sided thing. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's all very well to say it was, it was provoked in some way. But, but response to provocation, uh, perhaps at the moment anyway, is out of all proportion but, but to what the provocation was. You mustn't, you, you mustn't assume that when I say that this, this, this thing is explicable, uh, that I mean that it's justifiable. Mm. I'm as against the invasion as anybody, and some, in some ways more so. It's, to me, it's the, the most colossal tragedy because I had invested a great deal of hope that Russia might yeah. one day rejoin the, 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 the civilized nations. And now I'm pretty sure that will never happen as a result of, of Putin's disastrous and stupid decision. But it's, it, 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 to, to, to be against the invasion doesn't and, and to be and to be sympathetic to the ukrainians as they fight off a, a neighboring bully doesn't mean that you can simply ignore all the things which went before no no i get that to bring this back no sure absolutely i get that and also the general sort of on a more global scale i suppose the sort of macro world rather than the micro world of ukraine and russia you know the west has been remarkably um, useless at reading the room, if you like, you know, just understanding what's going on around it. You know, that everybody was happy that net zero was a great place to go. And it wasn't a great idea to sort of, you know, take down the Berlin Wall and give everybody an iPhone. And wasn't it brilliant for the, for the Arab Spring to happen? All of which has kind of all now collapsed in on itself. Well, it has. But this is an interesting thing. You find very strange alliances of people now, people who think of themselves conservative patriots lining up on this on this business with governments which are still fundamentally committed to to the policies of Greta Thunberg yeah. uh, and and the uh, and, and the sexual revolution, which they disagree with. It's all very confusing mm. uh, to, to try and work out what one what one is supporting into into what company one gets when one supports anything. This is why I found it increasingly impossible to support anything in my life at all. Generally, the simplest thing to do is to, 
is to oppose it. Uh, you'll usually be able to find a very good reason for doing so, not long afterwards. Yes, no, absolutely and, right. And, 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 and don't don't uh, don't be seduced uh, into in, in following any political movement. They all seem to me to lead to one form of disaster or another. Well, you'll be happy to know I've been staunchly neutral for many years. I only voted once in my life, and that was for the Labour Party in 1979, tragically in Bath where Martin Baber was running yes. against Chris Patton, uh, who became part of the Thatcher revolution. Um, and that was the first and only time I've ever done it. Because since then, I think I'm not going to do it. I'm going to remain neutral. I'm going to talk as a neutral. I'm going to take every uh, issue as it comes. And I will never be slavish to any political party or ideology. No, well, that's, that's very wise. But it's, it's, these days, it's not, the political parties all being more or less the same. The, we tend to, to show our allegiances in other ways, don't we? Simply by particularly if we have any kind of public platform, mm. uh, then we, we can simply say, as you and I can, what we think, and people can hear it and may or may not be influenced by it, or may just be angered by it. But there, it, the parties themselves have actually become less useful to people who want to express a political view because they're so similar to each other. Yes, absolutely. Let's go back to COVID just to finish up. Um, the chaotic COVID death toll, brilliantly reported, as you said, in the Mail on Sunday, but also today... And I wonder what you think about this piece on the front page of the Telegraph saying that uh, the um, COVID inquiry, which will begin at some point, presumably later this year, uh, has basically said it's not going to look at the effect that any of the lockdowns had on children, which seems bonkers to me. Well, it is absurd uh, because the, the effect on children has been has been huge. I, I don't see how you could rule anything out. Uh, but terms of reference are always vital in these reports. Yeah. And perhaps it's still possible for them to be revised. But I don't know what else it proposes to leave out. Uh, is it going to, for instance, look at the, the, the problems visited on the National Health Service by, by, uh, by COVID restrictions? Is it going to look at the damage done to the economy? Is mm. it going to do, look at the damage done to old people who were deprived of any kind of social life or existence and who I think probably died in quite large numbers as a result? If it doesn't look at those things, it's not a proper inquiry. But I, I very much fear that any such inquiry is, is going to be preloaded. Uh, to come out with the answer that the government want, which is uh, they didn't lock down soon enough. No. Well, perhaps it'll be uh, as successful as the Chilcot inquiry. We can only hope. Yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was good. <laughs> well, it made for some decent television for a few days. But anyway, Peter, as ever, great to talk to you. Uh, we shall see you again same time next week. Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist, uh, of course, talking a very, very much sense, and, and very interestingly as well, uh, just about the way the West has kind of screwed everything up, because it kind of has, hasn't it? Wouldn't you say so? I mean, I can't think of a war, as I said, in my lifetime that's actually been properly won. You know, nobody really won the Bosnian War. You know, we didn't really win the war uh, in the Falklands. It wasn't really much of a war. I know some people might disagree with that. We didn't really win the war in Northern Ireland. Uh, we didn't really win a war in Iraq. We didn't win a war in Afghanistan. Nobody did. Has anyone ever said that there was a war that was won? over the course of the last 50-odd years. I can't think of one. 0344 499 1000. We need your calls. Let's get some news headlines. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. In search of the perfect debate. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of Common Sense, now available, of course, on television as well as on the radio. Simply go to talkradio.tv, uh, find us there, or go to the App Store and download the Talk Radio TV app. Loads and loads of great stuff to watch. Uh, you've got, of course, Ian Collins from 1, Jeremy Carl from 4, Kevin O'Sullivan from 7, James Well from 10, all the way back around uh, to Julie Hartley Brewer, who rather expertly defenestrated that Wally who tied himself to the goalpost up at Everton, uh, whose name I can't remember, but I think it's McKechnie. He's going to find himself on plan of the week this week, I think. George says this, petrol prices have increased, but not by 50%. Cancel your direct debits and pay the actual bill. Not an estimate. Things aren't great, but no need to exaggerate to score political points, uh, is what he says. Well, people are struggling massively. People are finding it impossible to pay for petrol, which is now costing £1.80 a litre, when it used to cost a pound a litre. I don't think there's anything about that which is in any way a 50% increase. The point is that we are now faced with an incredibly high cost of living, and an awful lot of people won't be able to afford it. My message to Rishi Sunak, says David, uh, is philosophical. If I wanted a tax and spend government, I would have voted for the Labour Party. I want a balanced budget and tax cuts. I'm far better at spending my money than the government is. Well, I think every Conservative would say that, and it's absolutely correct to say the last thing you need is the government taking all your money and deciding what to do with it. You should be keeping more of your money. The most money uh, that you should be able to keep should be under a Conservative government. They should be taking more off you, for heaven's sake. Let's talk now, though, to Chris McGovern, who's from the Campaign for Real Education, because... uh, an incredibly interesting story today, uh, which went sort of um, beneath an awful lot of people's radar, is Kemi Badenoch, who is uh, the rather interesting equalities minister of this government, a woman who knows a thing or two about racism. She was born in London to Nigerian parents, spent some of her childhood in Lagos, right? She is not jumping on the bandwagon of those who say colonialism is to blame for everything. We should be ashamed of our past. She's actually saying pupils in schools in this country should learn about the benefits of the British Empire. I couldn't agree more. Let's talk to Chris and see what he thinks of it. Chris, a very good morning to us. Morning to you, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, Kemi Badenoch, we're going to try and get her on the show. I mean, it's very unusual for a minister of this government to show any common sense at all, but she seems to have been imbued with some. Yeah, Kemi Badenoch is a bright light in a fairly grim world at the moment. She's a, she's a good politician, a bright light in the Conservative Party, and she's absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've been involved in writing the history curriculum uh, since Margaret Thatcher's time. I was employed by three prime ministers to be involved in, in, in writing what goes on in schools. Each time I've disagreed with what it comes out with, but um, it's absolutely vital that children understand that uh, most of history, throughout most of history, most people have been part of empires. And if they had a choice, they'd certainly choose the British Empire. It was a lot better than any other empire. What comes to my mind straight away is, you know, when we were in India, they had a custom there, uh, call me old-fashioned if you like, but I would be opposed to burning widows mm. on the bonfires of their of their deceased husbands. I yes. thought that was pretty bad. Well, we stopped that. Uh, and that's a pretty good side of empire, wasn't it? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, and also the whole system of, of government of India uh, actually runs rather well and was set up by the British Parliament and has, a, a fact, probably more now a more efficient system than the British Parliament ever did. So, I mean, I think it's really, really wrong to attack the British Empire as doing all all things bad and nothing good. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, we're on the right side of history here, Mike, because 54 countries around the world, former, mostly former British colonies, they're part of the uh, the Commonwealth mm. today. And they they, they support, they, they want out their links with Britain. They know that, yes, there were bad things in the empire, but the, the good outweighed the bad. And when we look around the world, far better to be under British rule than any other empire I can think of. You know, we've had so many empires, including African empires, the Mali Empire, 
Zulu Empire, Shanti Empire, pretty brutal, Spanish empires, Genghis Khan. Then we had Tamerlane used to make mountains out of human skulls in, in Central Asia. You know, so yeah, we were pretty bad. But don't forget, Mike, Britain was once ruled by an African emperor, a Roman emperor called Septimius Severus, who actually died in York. Just before he died, he ordered that everybody north of Hadrian's Wall, man, woman and child, even children in the womb, should be massacred because they'd rebelled against the Romans. He gave the order, but he died before he could carry it out. The Romans were in Britain as an army of occupation. We were part of an empire once and we were enslaved. So it's a universal experience what people do to each other. But the British can be proud of their empire as the rest of the world mostly is. They think we're pretty good. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, they built Hadrian's Wall, didn't they? And as my father always used to tell me, it wasn't to stop the Romans from entering Scotland, it was to stop the Scots from coming south. Absolutely. And when people <laughs> go around about, talking about pulling down statues, they don't say pull down Hadrian's Wall. That was a real symbol. If I could do one thing, you know, to help teachers write a decent curriculum, I was involved in writing these things in the past, but I think every teacher and probably every older child should read the autobiography of Mary Seacole. Mary Seacole was voted the number one Black Britain. She was a, the so-called Crimean nurse. Oh, yeah. In Mary Seacole's autobiography, they will find racism. She called the Turks degenerate Arabs, worse than fleas, to use the N-word. But she was a great supporter of the British Empire, so much so, in fact, Mary Seacole, that she went to the Crimea and put her life on the line to support the British Empire. And she boasted that her husband was a godchild of Nelson. Mary Seacole is a great figure. We've got a mm. statue of her near Parliament. Let's, let's read her autobiography, and there we see someone from the 19th century representing her time. No hang-ups about the empire with Mary Seacole. No, quite. The trouble now, of course, though, Chris, is that the, the problem in our schools is so far gone, I'm not sure how you fix it, because the curriculums have changed pretty much, I would say, almost unrecognisably from when I was at school, certainly, um, you know, because we actually studied history as it was, as opposed to how we would have liked it to be. Um, and some of it wasn't very nice. I remember my, 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 my history teacher in my second form in school talking about the, the history of, of, the, of the country being nasty, brutish and short, you know. And I'm afraid that's what it was. But, I mean, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be studying it or looking at it or taking good things from it and learning from it and also pointing out that when something was good, that, that's fine, you know. Yeah, he, that history teacher was quoting Thomas Hobbes, the famous English philosopher. Life is nasty, shoot, uh, brutish and short. Yeah, I mean, I, I say I've, been, I've been involved in writing these curricula over the years. And uh, what I would say, and a lot of people don't know this, is that the current national curriculum doesn't require the teaching of any specific event or personality from British history. It's Sex Pistols history. Mm. You've got to teach British history, but you can do what you like. It's anarchy. But you do have to teach world history. So there is a, a statutory requirement to teach West African history or Islamic history or Central American history. So in a sense, world history gets a bigger place in our national curriculum, current national curriculum than British history. So if you want to spend all your time teaching about empire, you can do or about slavery you can do. It's, it's not a very good curriculum. I criticised it. I sat with Michael Gove. I told him he was wrong. I was a silent voice there because mm. everybody else was from the educational world and they just went along with it all. And they know they've got control of the curriculum. We've got to be very careful what comes out next because what Kemi Badenoch is saying, we're going to have a new history curriculum. Yeah, but we want a balanced curriculum. We want children to know mm. that actually Britain's been a force of good in the world. And if you want to know about empires, take a look at Russia today. Take a look at what's going on in the Ukraine. Mm. And then take a look at British history. Well, yeah, we did some pretty awful things probably as well. But on balance, 54 countries were voted to stay with us. 
as part of the British, as part of the Commonwealth, not the British Commonwealth anymore. They're proud of our links. If mm. you travel around the world, there's a great deal of pride. Look, our Queen is the Queen of 15 different countries. They love our Queen. Mm. We're a great country. And why don't we get back to thinking about this? Why are these liberal idiots out there thinking we've got to self-flagellate all the time, whip ourselves? No, we're a great country and we should be proud of that. And most people around the world know mm. that. But also fundamentally, it's it's immoral in my view, uh, if not completely and utterly uh, unrepresentative at the very least, to teach things having left other bits of it out. It's just not right, is it? Of course it isn't. No, I mean, it's, it, there's, a, there's a vast amount of teaching history. Of course there is. But yeah, it's amazing. When I, when I, I watched, you know, the, as everybody does, I suppose, the Remembrance Day service in, in Whitehall, November the 11th. And then I say, well, hang on a minute. You don't have to teach about World War One and World War Two in the National Curriculum. You don't have to do that. I remember Margaret Thatcher coming to me and saying, Chris, this was an earlier version of the National Curriculum, We've got a new national cricket coming out next week. It doesn't include World War One. Mm. Come round tomorrow morning, ten o'clock down the street, try and sort this out. This has been a battle going on for thirty years. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, I mean, my kids are learning about my, both. My kids have been learning about the Vietnam War, which is f- fair enough, very good. But I mean, I don't know what they've left out in order to teach them about that. Well, you've got, you've got to, you've got to, in the end, focus on your own country's history and yeah. your own continent's history. Yeah, the Vietnam War is important, but actually, is it more important than, say, the Norman Conquest? Mm. Probably not for our no. history. The Reformation or World War One. You know, and, and people are still alive today. We're in World War Two. Mm. My father was in World War, so probably your father. And the, 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 you know, we are still much affected by those events. We should make sure we should nail down the fact. Yeah, you do need to learn about World War One and World War Two and Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah well. We- I mean, let's face it, there's a direct correlation between what's happening today in, in Ukraine and Kiev uh, to what's a World War Two. So why the hell wouldn't they be teaching our kids about it? Absolutely. And if you know about World War One or World War Two, you will know that Ukraine has always been centrally important. And you've got to get a sense of perspective. Mm. Let's face it. And I'll be honest now, it's worth knowing that in the, in the Second World War, we, we sucked with the devil. We had a great ally in Russia. Don't forget that. Yeah. Absolutely right. They're never, they're never as simple as they always appear. We win allies with Russia against Napoleon, against the Kaiser, and against uh, Hitler. So things that they're a bit more nuanced than perhaps we think, and that's why you learn history. Well, that's exactly right. Chris, great to talk to you. Common sense personified, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Chris McGovern there uh, from the Campaign for Real Education. Uh, I was told the other day by somebody that their child came back from school having been instructed by one of their teachers to not believe anything on the television or the radio unless it was on the BBC. Great, isn't it? Marvellous. Tremendous. Well done, guys. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.